This is Daniel Figella, head of research at Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research. You're listening to the AI in Business podcast, where non-technical leaders stay ahead of the AI curve. And because it's Monday, you're listening into our AI Success Factors series. Every Monday, we're doing these short episodes with the goal of being 15 minutes or less, focusing on one specific success factor for one specific successful enterprise AI deployment. The goal here is industry agnostic insights. No matter what sector you operate in, these are the factors that make an enterprise project actually work. And today, we've got a big project and a guest who is particularly dear to me. Dr. Charles Martin has been with us on a number of occasions here on the program. And in fact, he was part of our recent AI ROI series, and I wanted to make sure I could get him for a twofer. Charles has been almost an informal advisor to us over the years. The first time I talked to Charles was nearly half a decade ago, uh, and the AI landscape has changed quite a lot. But he is a very seasoned person when it comes to AI in real businesses. He's worked on real enterprise deployments at companies like eBay and BlackRock for exciting startups like Aardvark, who was a competitive search engine that was acquired by Google. And in today's episode, he speaks to us about a particular project with Walmart, obviously one of the very largest retailers in the entire world, a company whose revenues basically dwarf all other American companies. So while the use case is fascinating, we are talking about product recommendations in different languages and different geo regions, which has a lot of interesting factors and a lot of cool things to discuss there. The main success factor here is around the champion. Who ultimately is helping to pull this project through and see it through to success? Charles describes a few things that are going to be useful for everybody tuned in. Number one, who is a good champion? What makes them good? What qualities and traits do they have? Number two, what specific actions do they do or not do? Charles is pretty darn explicit about what kind of behaviors a champion exhibits. So if you want to be a champion or you want to pick someone who will be the right champion to make sure that your AI project actually sees its way through to a deployment, this is not an episode you're going to want to miss. And I always have fun chatting with Charles, so I'm really looking forward to flying into this one. At the end of this episode, I will give you a little bit of a preview as to tomorrow's episode. Again, every Tuesday, we cover AI trends and use cases, so I want to make sure you stay tuned tomorrow. I'll give you a preview on that at the end of the episode, and I'll talk a little bit about some of our additional resources for helping AI champions in the enterprise. I'll cover that at the end. For right now, there's a lot of insights to sink our teeth into, and no matter what sector you're in, this should be an episode that drives home some critical points about the challenges to enterprise AI deployment, but how champions are critical in overcoming them. So without further ado, this is Dr. Charles Martin here on the AI and Business Podcast. Charles, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. Glad to be with you on the AI Success Factor series. You and I have talked for many years now about many of your various and sundry adventures in enterprise AI. And I know that you have one in the Walmart world, obviously one of the largest revenue of, of certainly any American firm, very impressive company. Talk about what the problem was that had them kind of bring you on in the first place and, and got this project started. Well, look, I, I think with the pandemic, there's just been a huge shift to online shopping and all over the world. Oh, yeah. So I'm helping Walmart with their international markets and international search. And they've had a huge expansion business, I think, and they want to improve the search experience. And, you know, what does that mean? It means you want to get more people to click on things. When they click on things, you want them to buy them and you want to have more revenue. Yeah. And they know that you can use machine learning and AI to do this. And I, I've been working in the space on and off for 20 years, you know, eBay, Aardvark, which is acquired by Google, so on. So, so they asked me to come in and help them with this problem. Is there something that I can add to the mix 
which is a very complicated problem, right? There are many, many subcomponents that have to be built. And they asked me to come in and really just work on the machine learning part of it as a consultant to help them build out a system and see if we can put in some advanced algorithms to improve the search experience. Got it. Okay. And this is for international search. So, you know, when you and I were riffing off Mike, obviously it would seem as though most companies based in North America would have the preponderance of their data volumes and, and probably their, their staff certainly speaks English. Their data volumes are mostly in, in English-oriented products. But being able to replicate that experience in a language where we just don't have the same search volume, we don't have the same amount of purchases, and purchase behaviors are probably radically different. I mean, you could probably speak from experience here, you know, what Mexico City buys versus Chicago on a day-to-day basis and Walmart is probably... Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and, you know, in, in Walmart, I mean, you have Walmart's big thing is the supply chain. And so the ability to have a great supply chain in Mexico, South America, and the grocery stores, for example, they they don't necessarily have the same kind of supply chain in the U.S. If different, it's different. Yep. But they absolutely are a dominant player, and I think that with everybody at home for two years, you know, a year or two, yep. you know, they're just seeing. Look, there's a lot more online traffic. We've got a uh, you know, certainly family. a lot. Yep. Right. And I think this is also the other thing. It's a big shift, right? Not only is there more traffic, but people are going to stay. You know, yeah. Now they know they can shop online and they can deliver. You know, you can. It's shopping. It's delivering. It's yep. fulfilling the inventory. It's a whole gambit of things. A very, very complex problem. And they, you know, they want to make the investment to really be in that space. And I think with the pandemic has really shifted things to a point where, okay, now we, now we really got to, you know, we got to push you, you it, gotta, through, uh, make it a priority. Yeah, you got to turn the dial up. Yep, absolutely. Yep. Okay, got it. So we have we have a certain amount of search experience in the states. We have a certain maybe ways we're leveraging our data to be able to recommend the right products. Like you said, get people to click, make sure they're finding the right things, make sure that they purchase. It's got to show up in the bottom line. And we want to replicate that in other languages. I presume some of these are languages you don't even speak. Well, I, I used to speak Spanish. Oh, really? You know, uh, <laughs> but, you know, uh, uh, my father lives in South. My father spoke like seven languages. Jeez. But, you know, it, it's really algorithmic. And even, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. Google Translate. Yeah, of course. So I think it's much more, you know, I speak Python and mathematics. That's exactly it, that right? That's the language you need day. to speak. Exactly. So, okay, cool. Yes. So, okay. So that defines the problem. We got the pandemic. Obviously, the market share is going to be one during that time. I mean, we're still in it as far as I'm concerned. Market share is going oh, to be yeah. one. Let's lift up the international presence. Let's make sure we can we can improve revenues in that regard. Talk a little bit about, you know, in so much as you can within the context of Walmart, you know, what the results were. You know, you highlighted this as a success story. Obviously, that means it's not something that's just purely in pilot land forever. Uh, that's what this series is all about, real projects. What did you see for results that made this something you're kind of proud of? Well, look, I, I think we were able to get in a very short amount of time a machine learning product in production, end to end, working, tested, improven. Among with other things going on, you know, it's been a very successful project. Things have, you know, I can't talk actual numbers, but I can say that everything is up. Everyone's very happy. And I think it really proves out the technology that you can do this, that, you know, the, these algorithms, if you put the effort in and you're really dedicated to it, search is a classic problem, you know, and it's, and, and I think that obviously has been in, in Silicon Valley you know, since the late nineties. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is where the experience is. Is this something that you, you foresee that they're going to roll out into maybe other languages that they aren't even addressing now based on the kind of momentum you guys have or how is no, it going to we're, we're, we're continuing to expand. I mean, okay. I think, look, we expanding out to different markets and I think that's not so much a language issue as it is, you know, a big place like this has lots of markets. There's lots of things going on and the different markets behave differently. You know, people buying groceries behave differently than they do when they're, um, you know, buying furniture or clothing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so you have to, you know, look at each individual market. You have a, a set of tools 
And you want to apply them to different markets and figure out, you know, what the differences are and how do you make things better? And I think it's been a very large effort that I'm very happy to be part of and to help on where I can. So, okay. So you've been able to see enough of a lift in kind of clicks and rev for people to be happy. You can't talk about too many specifics. And also it sounds like it's continuing to roll out into other geo regions, which certainly would indicate that it's something that they see some promise in and that they have seen some promise in through your work with them. Now comes the meat and potatoes of this series. And and you've worked with so many companies from BlackRock to eBay, and you've had some great war stories over the, the course of the uh, the many podcasts we've had. This is a success story with a very large organization. And I think the best example of the kind of projects we should have here on the AI Success Factor series. The question is, when it comes down to the one thing, and there's probably a hundred, but the one thing that you would say made this project actually come together and work, you know, got those numbers up and to the right, what would you say is the core factor that other enterprise leaders really should learn from and understand? Well, I think, you know, look, I'm lucky to have a champion in the organization who has as many years of experience in search and understands that, you know, this is a complicated problem and you're going to have to take innovative solutions to it. You can't just keep doing what you've been doing. So that's that's very important. And in your organization I work with, you have to want to be an AI company. You have to want to do it. If you if you don't want to be an AI company, you're not going to be an AI company. And if you want to be one, nothing's going to stop you. And I think that's important. And and for me, I think what I add to the table is that I've just worked in so many enterprises, and I I know what to expect the barriers are going to be. Yeah. So I know what the ask is. You know, you know what the asks are early on. What are the resources we need? What do we don't need? What do you not want to do? How do you build a product end to end as quickly as possible? Because people need to see wins. Yeah, you need to have an early win. And that's that's very important. Super important, Charles. And and you mentioned the importance of this champion. And I want to dive a little bit into that and and shake out some lessons that that our listeners can can really apply. So some of our listeners are vendors from the outside like yourself. Other listeners are working within giant organizations, whether it's a General Electric or, you know, a Deloitte or you name it, you know, people inside of big orgs that, that have to maybe apply this stuff. If you think about the definition of a great champion, and you seem to be working with one here at Walmart. Whether I work within a company like Walmart and I want a champion for a project I'm trying to do internally, whether I'm an outside vendor, what are the commonalities of that champion where they can really shepherd a project through to an ROI? I think it's about more than enthusiasm, right? I mean, what are the components that make that person the right fit? Well, look, I think first, anytime you're in an organization, you're trying to do something complicated, you've got to bring in the right people. So you have to bring in people with experience and have, who have the experience to do it and are willing to put the effort in. And I think one of the problems I see in a lot of data science efforts is that people just assume, well, data scientist, a data scientist, a data scientist. I'm like, well, you know, I mean, I would not be able to do this, the same project now, 20 years ago when I got out of grad school, I would not be able to execute on this. I have, I mean, it's not like I have any new training in mathematics. I, I have the same PhD, but just the years and years of experience in knowing the field. And whenever you're doing a project and you have a complex field, if you're doing search relevance or natural language processing, you have to have some experience. You have to know the industry. And in particular, search is very much an industry-driven technology. It's not like you're going to go to school and learn about it. You know, it's it's a lot of... Yeah, yeah. And I think the other thing is that, look, there are going to be a lot of battles. In a big organization, there are a lot of people with a lot of different ideas. I want to build, I want to have my own team do this, or I want to outshore, offshore this, or I want to do it my way. You're going to have a lot, and you got to pick your battles. And there's a point where you're going to say, look, this isn't going to happen unless we do this. And and everyone, you got to put yourself out there, and we have to pick the battle, and you have to fight it. And you have to have someone who's willing to say, okay, 
we're going to have to fight this. You know, we're going to, it's not like you're, you know, boxing, but you know, you're, you're realizing that there's something you have to push through. Yeah. Um, and you have to get, you have to have someone who's willing to, to see that and, and is, and understand, look in a complex organization, there's just a lot of crazy things going on and you yeah. have to recognize it. Like things are not going to be what you expect it to be. Yeah. So one team wants this, one team wants that. You're talking about kind of, yeah, I mean, you know, in a large org, you're trying to push through any kind of change initiative. It's going to involve team collaboration, right? You're using time, you're using money. It, it Understandably, if it hits up against other points, it's going to be friction. In order to go through those battles, I guess, it seems like that the champion should know that it's actually the right project. That's one thing. But what does someone have in common to have that conviction? Is it a really crystal clear belief of kind of the end state and the checkpoints so much so that they believe in the project more? Is it simply how high up their seniority is and almost nothing else matters? No, how I, would you itemize it? here? It's the project and the people. You know, it's understanding that, I mean, I was brought in because I had done similar work in other companies, eBay, Aardvark, you know, GLG, you know, uh, over the years, you know, knowing, Lots look, this is what has to be done. We know it can be done. And then understanding that, you know, you've got to let people do it, you know, and, and, and I think that it's, you're going to be in a lot of IT environments are going to be in places where sometimes you have to, you have to work in environments which aren't quite as structured the way you want them to be, you know, you, and you have to be able to work with other people, you know, they want to see planning or you have to get resources from other people. You have to make requests, you know, you have to be able to navigate that yeah. properly. And, and I think that it's understanding what's important. For example, you don't, a lot of IT people want to automate everything. You don't need to automate everything. Your goal is to get something working from the data, from the database into production so you can test it. You do you need a champion that, end end. do you need a champion that understands that, Charles? Is that? That's critical. Okay. Because if they, if they think that, well, everything has to be automated or it has yeah, to let's, fit into the IT process, that's, what, you're what gonna, do they have you're going to fall down. What do they have to understand? So we've got another two and a half minutes here. I'd love to wrap on you know, for this champion, they've got to be able to identify what the outside expertise is and call on the right people. Now, of course, as a vendor, that's a little bit of a biased take, but I get it and I think you're right. Okay. So that's, so that's one. Um, and of course we, we gather a lot of perspectives for a reason. So that, that's one valid perspective. Number two, they have to really be willing to go at bat. They have to know that this is not going to be simple and that this is something they're committed enough to, to actually fight through and say, no, we're going to drive this to production. What else they also have to understand? You mentioned the thing about IT. You have to understand that what the components and processes are in an AI system because you have data collection. Yeah. You have to go through the data and in something like this, you have to get it running in production. You have to auto, you have to have a semi-automated system. You have to be able to run AB tests, you know, live AB tests. You have to understand you're going to do statistical analysis. There are a number of, of components that go in and, and you have to understand there are different subcomponents which interact with each other. You know, it's not like I build my AI system and it, in, you know, I do something, it affects other algorithms that other people are doing simultaneously in some very strange way. And, yeah. and that you have to be able to understand that and manage it. And I think that in, in other organizations I've been in, like I, I, the example in another organization I've been in, they want to, well, we want to automate everything and get it running in the back end. And it's like, no, you got to test it. You don't want to yeah. automate something that doesn't work. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, AI and, and is I not IT. Working with someone who's sort of, you know, has the Silicon Valley experience and has seen how these products are built over the years, understands what all, you know, it's not so confusing. You understand what all the components so are. Somebody who also has enough fluency to know how AI is not IT and to know that they need to address this and implement this as an AI project. It sounds like ideally somebody with 
you know, of course, this would be ideal. Somebody with that kind of level of Silicon Valley experience well, that, that, to, to know how this well, works. Well, look, I, I think that right now, I mean, we've been doing machine learning for search and AI for 15, 20 years. Yep. It's not like this. And you have, you know, if you're going to bring someone in to lead a project, they have to have a broader understanding of, you know, you don't have to understand all the technical details. You have to have a broad understanding of the projects and how they're organized and how they're staffed and what the components yep. are. And that's something which, you know, there just aren't a lot of places in the world where this has been going on for 20 years. Yeah. Last quick thing. I, we're, we're right up on time, but I want to squeak this one more insight out before we wrap. I, I always promise the listeners these Monday episodes will be short, but I have to ask, it is clearly great advice to say, look, you want an AI fluent, and we beat the drum of AI fluency. I know you see the stuff on LinkedIn. We chat about this. You know, AI fluency for these folks leading these projects, so critical, and you're really putting an exclamation point on that today. If I'm an internal leader or even a vendor, and I'm working with somebody who's a champion who I just think is far removed from AI fluency. Is it a better move to either try to navigate and find a different or better champion or potentially walk away from that circumstance? You got to pick your customers. Yeah. Right. That's critical. You know, and I, I actually picked this because the guy I'm working with here, you know, who I, I picked them because I knew this would be a successful project. You have to, if you go into an organization where people are going to fight you tooth and nail on what you're doing, you know, you're going to fall down. You've got to pick your customer as much as they pick you. And from an employee perspective, let's say I, I work inside of a very large organization, is it kind of the same thing where I want to pick the projects I want to be involved in? In other words, okay, this could be a great project, but this person is, I think, really going to treat this like IT and it's going to flop. This is the challenge with people in, in a lot of large organizations. You have to have a lot of autonomy. And a lot of organizations don't give people that kind they're not used to having autonomy. Yeah. And with autonomy comes responsibility, right? You have to be reliable competent, trustworthy, you know, you have to have that autonomy has to be there. And I think that that's a challenge. You know, sometimes organizations are sort of the opposite. There's almost no autonomy and no trust, but you have to, if you're going to work in this kind of environment, you have to be willing to take on that responsibility and say, I'm going to try to do what's not just what's best for me as an employee, but what's best for the project. And that's a tough one because a lot of people are not, they're doing what's best for them. The projects aren't always, you know, they're not always fun. You're not playing, you know, it, it's, it's hard work and you have to be willing to, to put the, you know, the grind through it. Yeah. So I think key lesson here for folks is some, certainly some great screening criteria around a champion, the importance of a good champion in AI fluency, and also really being able to make some conscious selections around who you work with. Because like you said, Charles, it's not going to be fun and games when this thing gets started. It's going to be a tough battle, even if it's a win. And so it feels like that's sage advice. No, that that's like with anything, you know, it's, yeah. it's, I think a lot of people think you're you're off playing scientist, but it's really 5% thought and 95% perspiration. You heard it here, folks. That's the name of the game. We spilled a little bit over, but certainly still a nice short episode for AI success factors and a good doubling down on the importance of a champion and their qualities. Charles, thank you so much for joining us again on the show. It's always a blast, brother. Thank you very much. I appreciate it greatly. So that's all for this AI Success Factors episode of the AI in Business podcast. I hope you had some strong takeaways from today. Charles is certainly not afraid to talk about the real hurdles to making this work. Nothing about this is easy when we're working within a giant legacy enterprise, but there are some things a champion can do to help shepherd us through. And I think Charles makes it pretty clear you've got to be prepared to fight. 
and he was not mincing his words there, and I think that that's a lesson folks should be able to take home. So two quick points, as I mentioned in the introduction to this episode. Number one, first, a little bit more detail on the resources we have here at Emerge for Enterprise AI Champions, and secondly, a little bit of detail on what's up for tomorrow. Tomorrow's an episode I'm really looking forward to. So here at Emerge, from a market research perspective, we're in the business of collecting use cases, what is successful, what's possible and what's working in AI across industries and across AI capabilities, and also distilling best practices, taking advice around how to build an AI strategy, how to measure AI ROI from leaders at Fortune 100 companies and hot startups, and turning those into simple frameworks for action. So if you are an AI champion or a catalyst, someone inside the enterprise that's looking to bring AI to life, and you want more resources to make it tangible, to really have simple visuals to be able to guide your decision-making process, or simple libraries to be able to pick and find successful use cases in whatever industry you're focused on, then you'll want to check out Emerge Plus. You can go to emerj.com slash p1. That's P as in plus, and then the number one, emerj.com slash p1, and learn more about Emerge Plus. Again, that's our platform for AI catalysts. This is mostly folks inside the enterprise that are looking to enable AI, or external consultants often join Catalyst in order to have resources to show up, be smart, and serve their customers well, be able to make a compelling business case for AI so they can move forward with their projects. Again, you can learn more at emerj.com slash p1. Today was all about champions, and I will tell you, the champions on our email list are often going to be Emerge Plus members. So you can learn more at emerj.com slash p1, and also learn a bit more about our private Slack community open only to Emerge Plus members. As for tomorrow's episode, we're taking a very startup kind of mindset and applying it to the enterprise. We're speaking with the leader of a VC firm based in the Bay Area about what young AI startups are doing to differentiate their business models with artificial intelligence and how enterprise players can use the same principles to build a moat around their products or services and their customers at an enterprise level. So this is about thinking in a more nimble way and applying the lessons from successful AI startups inside of an enterprise. There's some great tangible examples and an approach to strategy that I think will be rather new for those of us that have been locked away in the enterprise world for many years. So I hope you'll stick with us for tomorrow. Again, every Tuesday, we cover AI use cases and trends, so you're not going to want to miss our Tuesday episodes. And Monday, we cover AI success factors, which is our short kind of espresso shot for the week around a success factor for an AI project. So that's what we just wrapped up, our success factor episode. Tomorrow, back to the normal cadence on Tuesday, and we've got a fun one. So I hope you stick around with us for tomorrow. I look forward to catching you there.